golf today, Scotty Scheffler closes a deal at the WM Phoenix Open. And is he a new star in the game of golf? We got to know him much, much better this past week. And what of Charlie Hoffman? Was his message lost in the delivery? We will discuss all coming up. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. It was a huge weekend in the world of sport at the WM Phoenix Open. Scotty Scheffler outlasted Patrick Cantlay in a three-hole playoff to secure his first PGA Tour victory. And then roughly 380 miles from Scottsdale, Arizona, the Los Angeles Rams defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 23-20 in Super Bowl 56 on NBC. It was the Rams' second Super Bowl title. Happy Valentine's Day, one and all. Matt Adams alongside of Eamon Lynch. Uh, Paige McKenzie will be joining us presently. And Eamon, uh, there was so much golf to consume this week that was. How was the taste to you? I'm just, I want to say, Matt, I hope you have a prettier date for dinner on Valentine's Day than you have for lunch. <laughs> But, you know, we, we had a tremendous weekend out here. We had, we're accustomed to seeing drinks raining down on the head of, of Super Bowl standouts, but apparently now that's the thing in golf as well. We had stars breaking out. We had shirts coming off. I mean, it was a real feast out there and a little controversy on top of it. Almost like an adult spring break, to, to be fair. Paige, happy Valentine's Day to you as well. We appreciate your company on this Monday. What are your reflections for the week that was? You know, as a North Scottsdale resident, I can easily say I'm glad, glad that the party has moved on. It was an exhausting week for the fans as well as the players uh, with all of the activity going on. But I think for this event, it was such a deserving finish to have a playoff, to have somebody like a Scotty Scheffler come down the stretch playing tremendous golf. That's exactly what you would want and hope for in a PGA Tour event, especially one that is so highly attended and so highly partied. Let's take a look at the leaderboard and see how it all balanced out there. You see the two atop at 16 under par after the playoff. Patrick Cantlay suddenly into the second position. Third place, only one shot shy. Xander Shoffley, Brooks Kepka, and Sahith Thigala at 15 under par. Good final round by Billy Horschel as well to get to 14 under. Let's take a look at the career arc of Scotty Scheffler. 2019 Corn Ferry Tour Player of the Year and the 2020 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. He lost in the final of the 2021 WGC Dell Technologies match play. He finished 2-0-1 on the Ryder Cup in his debut at Whistling Straits, and he earned his first PGA Tour win in 2022 at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So, Eamon, I guess the first question I would have for you about Scotty Scheffler is – what is it about him, his personality, his game, maybe it's all these things, that just seems to connect so well? Aren't we really looking at a really old head on really young shoulders with this guy? And I think we've been seduced by this embarrassment of riches in the game right now, Matt, with all of these meteoric rises. You look at a, a Victor Hovland and a Colin Morikawa, guys who've just been on this endless upward trajectory. And Scotty Scheffler doesn't get the credit for being the same. He turned professional in the summer of 2018. He was ranked 1,589 in the world. By the end of 2019, he was 66. By the end of 2020, he was 31. By the end of last year, he was up to 12. As of this morning, he's number nine. That's a heck of a trajectory yeah. this guy is on. And it's really interesting to see 
where that improvement comes. He works on his full swing with Rick Smith all the time and also mm -hmm. on his putting. And you look at his putting stats over those years. His first full year on tour in 2019, he was 188th in strokes gained putting. He got it up to 117th. Then he got it up to 107th. So far this year, he is at 28th on tour in strokes gained putting, and he was second in the field in Phoenix in strokes gained putting. Uh, when you hit it as well as he does and you start to putt like that, you're going to be in this position on Sunday a lot more often. That is very impressive indeed. And, of course, I also think it's, it's uh, for these players, it's not only about the coaches. It's about who you surround yourself in every way. And in this case, he had a pretty big name in his bag. Yeah, when you look at Ted Scott, who spent 15 years as Bubba Watson's bag man out there. Now, Bubba Watson's played the Phoenix Open 16 times. He's been second twice. He's been third. He's been fourth. He's been fifth. All of those times, Ted Scott was on the bag. He could not have found a caddy who had more experience in contention in the heat of the moment on Sunday afternoon with all of the craziness that's going around, particularly at that tournament, than Ted Scott. And he and Scott, you can see them working on the putting green all the time. They play these little games around the, the short game area all the time, constantly keeping it interesting. And that's Ted Scott's value to him. It's bringing in the experience, just a quiet word at the right moment. And it paid off yesterday. Absolutely fascinating. Now, Paige, you mentioned it when we were doing the highlights package, and it just got validated by what Eamon was saying because of the prowess now with the putter. That is an incredible improvement with, with the flat stick. We don't see that that often, at least that dramatically. In your mind, was this the least shocking first win, breakthrough win on the PGA <laughs> Tour? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. And I don't think anybody, including his PGA Tour uh, peers, would say otherwise. Uh, this was forecasted a long time coming. You had a great graphic of all the accomplishments that he's had since he turned professional. But I want to take you back even further in history. If you go back to his U.S. junior amateur win in 2013 or Walker Cup in 2017, or the fact he played Byron Nelson as a 17-year-old and finished 22nd. Uh, he was also freshman of the year in college golf at the University of Texas. Now, if this resume sounds familiar, it's because it is. It's nearly identical to another junior golfer that came out of the Dallas area, and that is Jordan Spieth. And when I think of Scotty Scheffler, I think of the amount of expectation that was on him when he left the amateur ranks, when he turned professional. When he was a freshman at UT is when Jordan Spieth went on his major run, uh, getting a couple of majors in 2015. This is a player that lived under a very large shadow in Jordan Spieth for a long time. He's now made his own name for himself in the professional ranks, but I always credit the fact that he did have to live with that somewhat of a burden uh, of following in the footsteps of Jordan Spieth. And again, two very different styles of play, but a lot on the resume that he had to live up to to finally get that first PGA Tour win. When you speak about a burden, Paige, he was pretty much looked upon, I think, universally as the best yet to win on the PGA Tour. Who is now burdened with that crown? Well, that's, a, that's a fabulous question. Uh, there's been a lot of great players in recent years that have carried the mantle. I, I'm looking at probably Will Zalatoris, uh, again, from the, the Texas, that might be carrying that. Um, what about you, Matt? You've, you've had some great, great, you're a great eye on a lot of young players, um, but that one's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, Will Zalatoris, I think it would be for me. What about you? I got to look at a guy like Matt Fitzpatrick, who's 23rd in the world. He's won seven times in the European Tour. He's at 17 top tens on the PGA Tour and five top fives. He's a guy who puts himself in the mix a lot. The problem is the game is 
at such a power stage now that the opportunities for Matt Fitzpatrick to win are not as plentiful as for, say, a Will Zalatoris or a Scotty Scheffler to win. Mm -hmm. But I look at a guy like him or even a, a Thomas Peters who just won last month in Abu Dhabi. These are the guys who are top 25, top 30 in the world who I think I would put slightly ahead of Zalatoris only because I think Zalatoris gets, gets more shaky the closer he gets to the hole. Yeah, here we are talking once again about the putter, this, this yeah. sub-theme of the show so far. Fascinating stats that you had of Scotty Scheffler with that. Now, in that playoff, we saw plenty of the 18th hole. Scotty Scheffler afterwards addressed the question of whether the stage should be altered. Honestly, in the playoff, I would prefer a hole that would go left to right because Patrick likes to draw the ball off the tee, and I like to fade it, so I would have, I would have liked for it to have been a different hole. But um, obviously, I, I, I performed well in the playoffs, so I'm still pleased with that one. Would you keep it the same, 18-18-18, or would you mix it up? I think 17 would be a phenomenal playoff hole, but this is not the tournament where you want 50,000 overserved fans dashing to a different hole on Sunday evening. Yeah, see, the different uh, the reason I disagree with you on that, Eamon, is I think those fans were already dashing of their own accord, regardless of whether it was driven by a playoff hole or not. I would love to see 17 involved just because of the drama that that hole caused not only this year, but every year. Paige, where do you fall? Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, honestly, the, the 17th hole has provided a dividing line on so many uh, outcomes of this event. It's hard to believe that it's not included. Now, I understand there's a lot of logistics as it relates to not only the fans, but cameras and a lot of other logistics that might be in play here. But I, I would hope that, that maybe we would get an opportunity to see a risk-reward hole like that being incorporated into a playoff in that kind of situation. It's a do-or-die situation for the players, so you want it to be a do-or-die decision for the players as well. All right, folks, time now to check in on our Comcast Business Tour Top 10. Here's the way it looks on this Valentine's Day. With the victory on Sunday, Scotty Scheffler moves to number four in the standings. His best finish in the FedEx Cup was a fifth-place finish as a rookie in 2020. Coming up, one of the great stories of the week, the 24-year-old Sahith Tigala, who made his name known to the world of golf emphatically. We look back at his impressive performance and discuss how big of a contender he could be in the years ahead. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Wind Grips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf and the new wingman, crank up your game. And by Cobra LTDX Drivers, engineer for the longest total distance. Welcome back to Golf Today. Let's take a look at the career notes for Saeed Thigala. He won the Fred Haskins Award in 2020 when he was at Pepperdine. He earned enough non-member FedEx Cup points to qualify just barely now for the 2021 Corn Ferry Tour Finals. He entered the PGA Tour with the card of 21-22 season via that Corn Ferry Tour Finals. And he held the solo 54-hole lead at the 2021 Sanderson Farms Championship where he ended up finishing in a tie for eighth. Afterwards, he met with the media. Here's what he had to say. Emotions right now, more proud of the way you hung in there or, or disappointed with the finish? 
sorry. Um, a little, little bit of both, for sure. Oh, thought I, oh, sorry. Thought I had a great shot on 17, was cutting. The line's another yard right, I think that's perfect. Kick straight and it's good. Kick left into the water there. And then I was worried about the ball. It was such a steep slope, I was worried about the ball kind of rolling back. So I maybe rushed my process just a little bit there and hit a poor chip and hit a poor putt. I mean, I just didn't hit, hit the shots at the right time when it counted. But definitely proud of the way, played the sweep. How did today compare to what you were expecting as far as emotionally? Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, there, there are so many different emotions to take in. Uh, I feel like me and my caddy Carl did a really good job of um, kind of using the adrenaline properly and just trying to enjoy every moment of it. And it, it was a lot of fun out there today, for sure. They seem to be, yeah. they seem to be rooting for you, chanting Thigala yeah. every day. Do you, it was, sense it was of really support? cool. Yeah, the last three holes I got so much support, 16, 17 there, and even 18 cheering my name. So it's really cool. You know, it's really interesting, Eamon, because as far as benefit to the game goes, especially now when it seems like the game of golf is either at or, or approaching a crossroads, where it, it, it does this player seem like Thigala is at the right place at the right time? How refreshing is this guy? How refreshing is it to actually see a guy with that level of enjoyment and enthusiasm and passion and highs and lows? And we spend a lot of time recently and we will in this show talking about whiny ingrates who don't want to play the pga tour this is what the pga tour is about right here you know the sport is about davids versus goliaths and what we hear some players trying to propose is all goliaths and no davids davids are the story in this game and you look at a guy like sahith sagala and his large boisterous family that he had around him yesterday after the round and cheering him along during it this is exactly what this game needs. Yeah, he, he was a little tight in parts during the day. The nerves got to him a little bit, but he, he lost it by going for it on 17. He didn't lose it because he was backpedaling away out of fear. And I think that it, this is a guy who, he was a sponsor's exemption. He, he was a great use of it. He had an exemption into Riviera this week. He doesn't need it now because he's arrived and he's announced himself. And this is exactly what we need more of in this game. You know, it's interesting too, because when we look at the game from a global basis, he is a global player. He, he's, he's a player of Indian descent. Uh, his parents are immigrants. You saw him hugging his family. And he was with a very large group of supporters. That, that willingness to show emotion, I think, is rare. And it's not, it's not only the David versus Goliath that you mentioned respectfully, but I, I think it's also because all athletes are expected to conduct themselves in some ways as kind of a, a, a gladiator, you know, not revealing that, that level of sadness, if, if you please, of disappointment in whether it was fate or by his own accord. So with that, uh, Paige, I I'm curious about your reaction to the authenticity. I'm curious to reaction to a rookie. And sometimes I know that, that those, those fine edges can, can get dulled over the years. But in this case, it was really cool to see. I mean, whether it was the fans at TPC Scottsdale or whether it was social media, everybody 
became a fan of Thigala this week. And it had a lot to do with the word that you just used, and that's authenticity. You could see it in the way that he played. And Eamon touched on it as well, that he went for it. That wasn't the only time he went for it. When you think back to his college days, he left college during the 2020 COVID shortened season. He had the opportunity to go back to Pepperdine, but he'd already spent five years there. And instead, he took a leap of faith without a place to play. The PGA Tour Canada had canceled their Q school, as did the Corn Ferry Tour. He went on and he bet on himself and he, he conducted himself with confidence. And to me, that's how he plays. If you look at what he did on that Sunday, I go back to just the beginning of the round. I know he had struggled uh, on the second hole of Saturday's round. This one, the third hole is a part five. This, I don't think, was the brightest play. But he went for it. And to me, it was that kind of style of play that became endearing. And this is, of course, why he ended up taking the selfie. He struck one of the spectators. And, and so that's why he gave him the selfie. But, but to me, when I looked early in the round, it wasn't a player that was playing defensively. He was playing with confidence. He was willing to go for it in these moments in order to try to win the golf tournament. He wasn't waiting for the golf tournament to come to him. And I think that's part of the reason. The, the personal side, the authentic side, but also how he plays the game, I think is why people really enjoyed watching him play this weekend. Yeah, as both you and Eamon noted, he was not consumed by the moment. He may have gotten a bad break on 17, but that's golf and that's life. And obviously he was upset about it, and rightfully so. Bright things certainly ahead for him. Coming up ahead on this show of golf today, Charlie Hoffman. Well, he caused a stir when he called out the USGA and the PGA Tour in a lengthy Instagram post over the weekend. We get Eamon's reaction after this break. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back at golf today. Controversy erupted over the weekend. Per usual, it got testy on social media. WM Phoenix Open ambassador Charlie Hoffman was at the center of it by his own making. Hoffman backed up his opening 67 with a 72. He made the cut. But you see, he made a double bogey seven on the 13th hole. He hit his tee shot right and into the water in an attempt to take a drop twice on a severe slope. Charlie... 
trouble ensued. Charlie later went on to Instagram to explain what happened. Now, that's a picture from Shotlink of the 13th hole and the way it played out. In the comments section, this is what he wrote about that drop. Quote, what a joke. USGA and PGA Tour today on the 13th hole. I hit my drive in the water. It took a drop on the side of a hill that had no grass. Dropped twice, then placed in a small tuft of grass. Turned around, and the ball started rolling into the water. I was under the impression that the USGA had changed that rule. I was wrong. Had to take another penalty for doing nothing wrong at all. Did everything by the books. It's still mind-blowing that a group of amateurs ruled a professional game of golf. I also blame the PGA Tour rules officials for putting out a terrible penalty area line where this could even happen. Close quote. More from Charlie on Instagram. He said the following, starting again, quoting, no accountability at any level here, no protection for the players at all. You wonder why guys are wanting to jump ship and go play on another tour. Players need transparency, protection, and consistency. We don't have that under the current governing bodies. Sorry, Jay, we need to do better at all levels of the PGA Tour, including myself, who represent the players and the board of the tour. If we don't, we won't have a tour any longer. Hopefully, there will be a change coming up soon. Afterwards, Charlie Hoffman was addressed by the media and asked to explain his intent. What I, what I meant and what I said, I mean, I think I explained it fairly well, but uh, obviously not a huge fan of the USJ and how they govern us all the time. Uh, I was under the, the, uh, in, were under the impression that the rule had changed, uh, and I was frustrated when the rule hadn't changed, uh, why it hadn't changed, and it, it, I think there's some sort of, I mean, obviously we have a PGA Tour liaison that helps with the USJ and helps with their, in figuring out uh, what the rules should and shouldn't be, and uh, it just it didn't make any sense at that point in time why that rule hadn't changed, especially at this exact tournament when it happened to Ricky Fowler, he ended up winning the golf tournament, but it could have cost him the golf tournament. And and I told, as I told the rules officials last night, it's like everybody says we're going to change it for the better, we're going to do this and that, we're close or whatever, but nothing seems to get done. And unless you come out on a platform uh, like I did, it somewhat influences the change. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I meant by the rulings and everything else. You wrote and, that. Sorry. Yeah. Go, yeah. Um, you wrote that why guys are looking to join another tour. Do you feel like a, a lack of accountability or the rules issue is why guys are thinking I, about I think it's a whole, a whole everything. Uh, you got to look at yourself as a policy board member and look at yourself in the face, as I said. is like, what can I do better as a player director? What can the executive committee do, executive directors do better to make sure that we are the best tour in the world. Uh, and if it's <laughs> the PGA tours, uh, rewarding us by using social media in their platforms now, but they don't like it when you don't say something that may not be up to their standard. Uh, but you're rewarded on it. I'm not, I'm on no means trying to win the player impact program. But I wanted to get my point across that there's rules out there in the game of golf that should be changed. I had no, I wasn't near the golf ball. I had no intent to hit the golf ball, and the ball moved after I dropped it twice, and I have to drop it. I have to put it down where the ball landed. I have, I have no control over that. I turn my back, and the ball goes in the water. How is that 
a rule that is good for the game of golf and how we play. I mean, not one person at a country club would have took another penalty for that. Why, why is, in professional golf are we doing that? And it's not the first time it's happened. So you have to use what I have because obviously what, we, what the players have said and the, our person that sits on the, their board and sits with them, it hasn't gotten through to them. And I talked to the USG, USG last night, and hopefully they got the point. Hopefully it does change. So hopefully a little bit of hard times for me going through this, probably going to catch a ton of crap, will make the game better. And I hopefully the PGA Tour and the policy board and everybody gets together and we keep everybody here. Right, so and, just, and we play in the U.S., the best game of golf in the world, and we have the best players play week in and week out here in the United States. So we are left to try to sort between what Charlie Hoffman wrote at, at, at some length and then what he just said. What's the connection here? What happened? I think Charlie Hoffman was only going to make news this week in two ways, which was he was either going to play really well or he was going to say something really dumb. And Charlie went for option B right here. And the ruling in a way, it's kind of immaterial. I mean, he's acting like Phil Mickelson's crash test dummy here by getting into this idea that the rules makers are amateurs. They're not. It's an irrelevant point, but it's what Phil likes to peddle all the time. And the Charlie Hoffman thing to me is troubling in two respects. He's an ambassador of Waste Management, the sponsor of the Phoenix Open, has been for a long time. And he chose to embarrass the sponsor of the tournament on their biggest week, and that's a pretty stout and audacious play for a 45-year-old man who's six years removed from his last win because people aren't lining up to throw money at a guy like Charlie Hoffman. But to me, it was more troubling later when he turned it from his unfair ruling, as he deemed it, into uh, tagging the commissioner of his own tour. And he sits on the policy board of the tour, so he knows the discussions that have gone on. He knows what's at stake with the whole Saudi threat. And he chose to publicly rebuke the commissioner of the PGA Tour while tagging the representatives of a murderous regime in doing so. Is this seriously where we're at, that he thinks that's a proportionate response to getting a ruling that he thinks is unfair? This is what happens when you give leverage to people who are sorely ill-equipped to actually use that leverage here. I think Charlie Hoffman embarrassed himself. He's trying to make it about the ruling. It is not about the ruling. He's in the situation that he's in because he didn't bother to read the rule book. And he says, I did it by the book. He didn't even read the book. Instead, he's basically peddling the same kind of nonsense that we've seen out of other players, notably Phil Mickelson last week. He's hitting on all the same talking points on the Saudis that somehow the USGA's rule book is going to drive guys away. It's not. It's money, and they should at least be honest about it. Yeah, it seems as though there's a, a bit of a cabal in terms of uh, discontent behind the scenes. I think in, instead it comes across as entitled and, and spoiled and, and petulant when you have multimillionaires flipping the plate that they feasted off for so long. However, in fairness to Charlie Hoffman, I believe that he was correct in terms of his criticism of the rules. Rule 9.3 states that if natural forces cause a player's ball to move, there is no penalty, but the ball must be played from the new spot. In this case, after unsuccessfully trying to drop the ball twice, as he's entitled to, then placing the ball that he's entitled to, it eventually rolled into the water that was not of his making. Obviously, he can't play the ball from the water 
he had to play it then under Rule 18-2, which he had to take a penalty. He didn't cause it to move again after it was placed, and he's right that they need to take a look at this rule. It's the same thing that stared Ricky, if you remember, although he was able to overcome it. I am curious, uh, Paige McKenzie, from a player's perspective, what is your reaction to all of this? Yeah, there was a couple things that I definitely agreed with in the Charlie Hoffman Instagram post. He said, I quote, I was wrong. I quote, no accountability at any level here. That is the first thing I thought of as it relates to Charlie Hoffman when I read the post. Uh, a player's responsibility is to know the rules. And he said, this has happened before. It has. It has happened many times in golf over the last 30 years that a player places it and it rolls into the hazard. That's why when a player is in that situation, you prepare quickly. You heard Sahith talking about it on his play on the 17th hole, that he was worried the ball was going to roll, so he may have sped up his process. I'm not saying I agree with the rule. I think it should be looked at as well. Uh, but we've all been in a situation like that. If you've played this game long enough, you are aware of this rule and how it affects how you will play your next shot. Uh, so for me, when I read the first post, I thought, well, you just didn't know the rule. So why are you blaming everybody else for not knowing the rule? Now, that may not be a popular opinion because we saw a lot of player reaction actually on this Instagram post, uh, some of which who actually really agreed with Charlie Hoffman, Bryson DeChambeau saying, I agree wholeheartedly. Phil Mickelson also agreeing, I feel ya. So you mentioned some discontent amongst players, but not all players took it that way. In fact, Rory McIlroy did happen to give him a compliment saying, hey, nice bounce back birdie on the next. So Charlie Hoffman able to get it behind him on that round. And then uh, Miliana Grillo saying, don't hit it there. Yes, a very unusual place to hit it. In fact, only 15 players in the entire week even hit it in the water on the 13th hole off of the tee. Uh, so just a little variety of different reactions. So Matt and uh, Eamon, what was your take on what I feel like was somewhat of a pass that Phil Mickelson and Bryson were given when all the attention was on Hoffman? Well, see, this is this is where I, why at the beginning of the show where I was saying that did Charlie's message get lost in the delivery? So as Paige was just showing the reaction from Phil and from Bryson. I don't really think, perhaps I'm wrong, Eamon, I don't think that they were reacting to and say, go get them, to the question of whether a rule needs to be reviewed. I think it was about the broader messages that, that were there. What, where did you fall? I think you're exactly right on that, Matt. It was like watching two generals ushering the cannon fodder onto the battlefield here that they don't quite have the courage to get on publicly themselves. And, you know, these are two guys who are also very much enamored of the possibility of a payout from the Saudis and things like this, rules disputes, USGA criticism, criticizing Jay Monaghan, whatever it is, it all fuels the resentment that they're trying to build up for this idea of to normalize the idea of a Saudi tour and it's time they were called out on it. And at least, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna move on here, but at least we're gonna move on to somebody who has never actually lost perspective on what really matters in this game, Matt. We're gonna be joined by Tom Lehman, who won the Phoenix Open. He won the Open Championship, and he's currently gonna join us to talk about an effort to save a historic public course in his home state of Minnesota. One of the good guys in golf joins us next.
Tom Lehman, a major champion and a native of Minnesota, is joining us right now. Tom, what was it about this story that connected with you so personally? Well, there's so much. Um, I mean, where do you start? Uh, like, I'm a firm believer that history is something to be respected uh, and, and learned from uh, and embraced and celebrated. Uh, no matter whether the history is not so pleasant or very pleasant, uh, it's it's important for us to go forward. And uh, having grown up in Minnesota, having played in the uplinks there uh, several times, maybe two or three times, uh, knowing a lot about the club, having played there in college quite a bit, uh, and now understanding the plight that it's in, um, it, to me, it's a no-brainer. For every reason that's good, you would want to try to preserve Hiawatha Golf Club and preserve the history that it represents and to use it as a way to uh, create, you know, unity among communities and unity among people. And I think you re you saw that, you know, Solomon Hughes, who is a, a legend and all he had to do with that, you know, but there's, like you said, so much more. Dave Potus, who is the head professional at Bel Air Country Club, grew up on Hiawatha Golf Club. So it's always been a diverse, always been a very diverse place full of diverse people, but to the African-American communities, especially, is it's somewhat sacred ground. And, and so I'm very much supportive of this move to try to preserve the golf course. Tom, no one seemed to, in that segment, dispute the idea of the historical value of the course. But you made a point there that it's as much an investment in the future of this golf course as well and the next wave of young kids and minorities that's going to come th through there, right? Well, absolutely. The um, there, are, like Every kid who grows up, uh, needs to have somebody to look up to and in and, and some for some it's their father uh, for some it's their grandfather for some they don't have anybody so they look for heroes outside of their family and, and heroes like Larry Fitzgerald or heroes like who knows whom you know and so there's a generation of kids who are looking for direction looking for inspiration for motivation um, and, and you know golf provides that you know and it's not just for golf's sake it's because golf, as we all know, is a very relational sport, and especially in a, a club, a community golf course uh, in the middle of a, uh, a very rich historical area, there's uh, the relationships are extremely important. So uh, without relationships, there is no change. And Tom, when we think about Minnesota at large, you think about the lakes, uh, you, you think about the, the hockey that is played through the state but many people don't realize how often minnesota has the highest per capita golfers in the usa so i'm just curious what your thoughts are between the connection obviously at every level between the game of golf and the people that live in the state well minnesotans love to be outside the uh, and if you go out there in the winter time you realize that uh, the cold weather doesn't keep them in um you know the, the ponds uh, with skating they're full the hockey rinks are full outside there's you know, people out, I mean, they're just outdoors doing something. And, and so golf is one of those outlets that, which, uh, you know, gives you this beautiful opportunity on, on beautiful summer days to, to get out and, and have a really nice walk. And I think part of the fact that you can only play for maybe six months of the year or seven months of the year is part of the, the, the push uh, that we all feel towards getting out and playing the game. So when, our, when it's time to play golf, people play it with abandon uh, and, and they get out and they do it. And then they put the, Golf comes away and they take out the hockey stick or the basketball or, or whatever else it might be. But but golf is a great outlet and, and people take advantage of it. Tom, you've been around this professional game for a long time and we, we spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks and even today talking about comments from players like Charlie Hoffman this week or, and Phil Mickelson last week 
who suggest that the tour is not necessarily working for the players or they're not sufficiently rewarded for what they do in the way professional golf is currently set up. Are you buying that? Mm -hmm. Well, I, well, let me start by saying this. I have a huge amount of respect uh, for all of, uh, you know, the guys who, who play the game. Uh, many of them are, are peers, some are younger, but I, but I do believe the PJ Tour is in a really good position, you know, because of the quality of a lot of the guys who participate and play and, and, uh, and love the game. And, and I think the PGA Tour has been great for everyone. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that my life would be far less uh, enjoyable and there'd be far less joy uh, if it weren't for the game of golf and the PGA Tour. Everything that we have, my wife and I and our family, is a result of being a member of the PGA Tour and having that opportunity. So I will fight, you know, to the end of my dying breath in support of the PGA Tour. Now, it doesn't mean that the Tour can't do better in some things. I think they probably can. There is no perfect person or no perfect organization. I simply hate the, the putting it out there in public part of it. I think that's, uh, if you want to talk about not obnoxious, that's what's obnoxious. So, um, you know, don't do that. You know, I think there's a way to solve all the issues. And, uh, you know, so I would like to see a little more, uh, let's work together and uh, a little bit less of the... Uh, whatever else you want to call it. But one thing I will say without question, undeniably black and white is that I would never support a Saudi golf tour. I understand the money is being thrown out there. I understand what it can mean to you and your life and everything, but there's plenty of money available on the PGA tour to, to play for. Uh, the retirement program is, is significant. It's fantastic. Um, everybody who plays the game of golf on the PGA tour who is successful will never worry about a penny the rest of their life. Uh, so the idea of supporting uh, Saudi Arabia tour. Um, no, thank you. Tom, just a couple of minutes left here to the top of the hour. Today marks 150 days until the open at St. Andrews. We remember fondly when you won it in 96 at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. What are your thoughts about the open returning to the old course at St. Andrews? Moment left. Uh, forget and there is there is in my opinion no greater golf tournament than an open at st andrews um uh, of every all the events that i've played all over the world uh rider cups major championships uh and open at st andrews is a, at the very top uh, and i think it's such a great thing to have this 150th open at st andrews this year i know that i'll be there uh, not playing but i'll be there and uh i can't wait to be there and be a part of it Tom, thank you for being a part of Golf Today. It was a pleasure, always an honor to get a chance to speak with you. Yeah, you too, guys. Thank you. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, I would love to, I'd love to play <clears throat> at St. Andrews. There's no doubt about it. It's my favorite golf course in the world. And uh, to be a, a two-time Open champion there, uh, I would like just like to uh, – this – just even being a part of the champions dinner is, is really neat. Um, <clears throat> from my first one in 05 was my first one. I got to attend the champions dinner. Uh, it was pretty neat to, to be a part of it. And, and the, you know, Peter Thompson was still alive and I sat right next to him and to hear him tell the stories of when he came over and he played and shots he played and where he won, how he did it. It was awesome. You know, those are things like, like, at, like at the Masters. You, you just, those dinners are, are, are priceless. And those stories and listen to them uh, talk about how they played and when they played it and what they did. And um, it's just an honor to be a part of a room like that. And, yes, I would love to be able to play that Open Championship. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And this, uh, physically and hopefully I can't. Uh, I get. I got to get there first. Okay. I, the tournament's not going to go anywhere, but I need to get there. That was Tiger at the end of the year talking about this year's upcoming Open. We'll see if Tiger tees it up at this year's Fame venue during the summer in July, as we are officially now 150 days out from the 150th Open at St Andrews. I just think there's something special about St Andrews, the town, certainly about the old course, that whether you've been there or whether you've been there many times, we all feel a sense of ownership in some way. It belongs to all of us that love the game of golf. What is it about the place that makes it so special to you? To me, it's the only example we really have in golf of a living museum. I mean, old Tom Morris hit the first shot ever struck in the Open Championship three weeks before Abraham Lincoln was elected president. So this has always been one of these cornerstones of our game. And, you know, this tournament should have been held last year. It would be a nice return to normalcy to see it actually held this year. But what I mean by living museum, you can walk out on the 11th hole, and I know a golf geek like you has done this, and stand by the bunker where Bobby Jones ripped up a scorecard 101 years ago sure. and led to one of the golf writers of the time saying, Mr. Jones is just a boy and an ordinary boy at that. And he then went on to become one of the most beloved figures in the whole town. And, you know, you talk about Arnie's near miss and, and Tiger's triumphs and Jack's triumphs and what happened with, with Doug Sanders. I mean, I remember watching in the 2015 Open, Doug Sanders was walking along the range, still dressed like a peacock, but he was getting current players to sign merchandise. And I got the sense a lot of them didn't necessarily know who he was. And in a way, it was kind of a sad scene because he was literally that distance away from being an Open champion at St. Andrews. But this was the town where he was still relevant in the game, more so from the, the tragedy rather than the triumph. And it's still a living history museum. Old Tom has one living descendant left, his great-great-granddaughter, Sheila Walker. She still lives in the apartment above the Old Tom Morris golf shop. Yeah. Where else are you going to get stuff like that? I, I, we were, we were c coming down 18, because I do the world radio feed now, and I was walking down the 18th fairway, and I looked up at Old Tom Morris's shop. Do, uh, do you remember this? She was in the upper left-hand window 
looking out probably from the same window that old Tom would have looked out from at that time. That was his original shop. In fact, when they renovated it recently and they pulled down some of the walls, they found old lockers and fireplaces and remnants of what was original. If you're looking at your television screen, it'd be on the upper left along that Lynx Road that that shop was located. What I love about it, too, is how much it is revered by great champions. I was there recently with a group, and we were walking through town. We decided it was the night before we were due to play. We walked down to the first tee, and who was on the first tee? None other than Tom Watson. And he had a little stand there with the claret jug because he was doing a corporate outing. And he walked up, and he said, he goes, hey, Maddie, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm just here with these guys. We're going we're gonna to play. And he said, are you he's like a kid? He goes, are you playing today? We're like, no, we're going to play tomorrow. And he said hi to everybody. It's just a special place. And, it, you know, it, it scarred Watson as much as he triumphed on all the other open courses. That two iron into the 17th hole in 1984 oh. when Seve went on to win and Tom Watson kind of fell two shots back of him in the end. And one of my strongest moments was seeing Seve walking the course with a friend on the Sunday night before the 05 Open. And his body was kind of broken. He wasn't even playing that year. But he started to tell his friend on the 18th green about that triumph in 1984, that little conquering matador gesture that oh. became iconic for him. You just you see things like that in St. Andrews you don't see anywhere else. It is very cool indeed.